It is, uh, it's my joy today. In just a moment, I'm going to introduce to you our guest speaker. Lori Short has been here before. She was here, I think, uh, 51 Sundays ago, something like that. She was here over the 4th of July weekend last year, you may have remembered. And uh, in fact, we, we gave away one of her books and gave one of her books out half price last year. If you remember, she's an author of these two books. Uh, her third book is coming out. She, in fact, her deadline was this week. Uh, when, uh, when Changing Nothing Changes Everything, The Power of Reframing Your Life and Finding uh, Faith in the Dark, both of these books uh, you, had, you had access to last year. We've got them at the table. We asked her to bring them uh, if she came, we said, you can come, but you got to bring your books so that people can have access to these resources. These are incredible books, really well recepted and uh, received, and people have uh, uh, met God in these books in a deep and very real way. And they also have, by the way, we have, she has some DVD uh, companions that go with them now too, some kind of uh, launching into like a study guide for you or for small groups. So those, those are there in the back. I want you to check that out as you, uh, as you exit today. But um, Lori is, uh, has been a partner in ministry uh, of ours in the Covenant for a, a long time. Um, she's worked with a, a youth ministry uh, resource team for years called Youth Specialty. She's 13 years uh, on the staff team at Ocean Hills Covenant Church in Santa Barbara, where currently she's on the teaching team there, but also making her way around, has a women's ministry conference that she's developed and is speaking and writing for a living. She is an incredible person with an incredible heart. We love to put her up in front of you, but mostly because, not because she's so accomplished, but because she loves Jesus with an authentic faith and can communicate that in ways in which God be, will be able to inspire you. So uh, why don't you give her with me a warm welcome to Lori Short. Uh, I am so happy. Oh gosh, can I? Oh good. Okay. I didn't know if I was strong enough. I'm so happy to be back. And I have to tell you that I pretty much begged him because I loved my time here last year. Uh, you are so great. And it's so great to see a few familiar faces and look forward to chatting after the service. Well, I know you're in the middle of this series in the Psalms and we are going to jump like in the hundreds, because I want to teach you this morning the shortest psalm. So if you're on a scripture memory plan, this is a great psalm, Psalm 131. And it's a psalm that my mentor at First Press Berkeley, I used to be the youth pastor years ago, Jeff and I have known each other for so long, it's so fun to be with Jeff again. Um, I was a youth pastor at First Presbyterian Church of Berkeley, and I actually lived for a period of time with a family, and the mom of the family, who only had boys, so I'm like her only daughter, she became my mentor. And we had some hard times, both of us. Matter of fact, I think all of us in the room could probably say at some time or another, you go through difficulty. And she opened this little psalm to me, and it has been a precious piece of scripture for me. And so I'm delighted to be in this psalm with you today. So what I'd like to do just as we start and launch in, let's just say a prayer and, and welcome the Lord to speak into our hearts what we need this morning, which I know is going to be different for all of you. So let's pray. Maybe just take a deep breath. Some of you need that deep breath this morning. So Lord, here we are. And we are so thankful as we've worshipped and Jeff has reminded us that you are here in this place and you want to speak to us. You know our stories. You know each one of us by name. Even those that maybe just wandered in today, um, you know. And I just thank you that you can speak and raise the volume on the words that you want each person to hear. 
So would you do that, Lord, this morning? We pray these things in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. So we're going to have the scripture up on the screen, um, but it is Psalm 131. If you want to actually go to it so I can prove to you that it is actually a very small psalm, three verses. And it's a psalm of David, and it's, it's, uh, some of the background is he's on his way to Jerusalem. Um, it's, a, it's a psalm for when you're on your way to worship. And it's really interesting the way David starts, because he says this in verse 1, my heart is not proud, my eyes are not haughty. And so what we notice right away is that David is in a very humbled state, which I would venture to say is a little bit hard for all of us. And as I was thinking about, why is that hard? Why is it hard to say, my heart is not proud? You know, my eyes are not haughty. Why is it hard to be in that state? Probably because we assume that everybody around us is actually more together than they are. And it's true. You, you probably right now even are looking around and seeing each other and assuming, especially through social media, which is, you know, Assumption's best friend, that um, everybody around you is having this perfect life. So how can I be in this state that David is actually talking about as a very wonderful state to be in as you head to worship, this honest state? I remember when I was single, and I would go to church, many, many years I was single, and I used to look at the families and the moms, and I even saw a couple darling pregnant women here today, and I just used to look at them and say, oh, Lord, if only I could be like them. And now that I'm actually married and have raised a child, what I know is that they were looking at me as a single person and saying, oh, Lord, what I wouldn't give for one day like her. And we do that, don't we? And I think that what this psalm invites us to do is actually just state where we are, even if we're in a humbled state. We know David was the king, but he always saw himself in that humbled state. And I can remember, and I, and I already told my testimony a year ago, um, so I'll just give the quick version. Uh, as I mentioned, I was single for many years, and um, you know, you, I, had, I think Jeff even was one of them that was praying for me, please God, bring this girl a husband. I mean, as I passed through my 30s and got into my 40s, and then I finally got engaged, and hallelujah chorus broke out, had my showers, bought my dress, and then uh, my, husband, or my fiance got deployed. And in the course of his deployment, his ex-wife began having second thoughts about their divorce. And so when he came home, uh, we actually broke up and they remarried, which is a great story when you're not the girl engaged to the guy. And, you know, I have to say, I mean, there, there, as I mentioned last year, there were well-meaning Christians that said, well, isn't it great that God used you to bring them back together? <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> hope you have the same opportunity someday, you know. And I think that sometimes we, we often, you know, we like to offer words of encouragement to one another as Christians. Um, but sometimes when you have a brother or sister who's in that humbled state, listening is good. Listening is good. Um, but I will tell you that at that time, and I don't know that I mentioned this um, last time I was here, at that time I was speaking, as, as Jeff said, I was on a team of speakers with youth specialties, and so I was speaking all over the place, encouraging youth workers, and I got asked to speak at conferences and so forth. And 
that pretty much happened, my life falling apart, like right in the middle of this speaking thing. So I wasn't just like the Christian who comes to church on Sunday. I was, and I wasn't even the Christian who works at a church on Sunday. I was a Christian who was hired to come in and encourage everybody about their faith while my life was falling apart. And I remember just having this time with the Lord, just like, God, you know, I can't share my testimony. I mean, if I share my testimony, people are going to walk away from you. Like, if that's what it's like to follow God, forget it. I'm not out. I'm out, you know. And I remember so clearly, because, you know, I've never been the kind of speaker, as, as you know and probably can tell, that can fake it. I thought, if I get to that point, then I need to stop doing what I'm doing. i got to be where I am, Lord. And I remember the Spirit of God just working with me at that time, just saying, you know, don't you worry about me, little girl. You just tell your story. And it was, it was a, a really scary time for me because I'm like, are you kidding me? Because, you know, I, I didn't have the bow tied. I mean, I was in the middle of it. And I remember actually doing that. I, I developed humor as I, I kind of did with you all. And I, but I would tell my story and I would get to the end. And you, I mean, everybody in the audience was like, like, oh, no. And then I ended with this. I said, but you know what? God's not through with my story. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know if I'll ever get married, but I do know that I got up this morning, and so God is not through with my story. And some of you need to hear that today. Some of you need to know that God's not through with your story. I don't care if you've got the grayest head or no hair at all on your, on your head, or you think you're at the end, or you've already experienced everything and you're just riding in retirement, you know what? You are still here. And so God is not done with your story. And, and the truth is, and here's the sort of second part to this, I think we wait too late to give our testimonies. See, we wait until the bow is tied until the marriages happen. And many of you know that I did ultimately get married. But you know what? I think my testimony was never so powerful than when I stood up and gave it in the middle of the story. Because that's when people care about your faith. I want to tell you something. When everything's going great in your life, and you, you know, people don't really care about your relationship with Jesus. You know, everything's awesome, and I follow Jesus. Well, good for you. But let me tell you something. When things are not great in your life and you are holding on to God, that's when you have a testimony. That's when people lean in. And that's where I would encourage you that we need more people saying, my heart is not proud, my eyes are not haughty, but I am standing before you holding on to my God because I know he's real. That's when people lean in. And so I would encourage us more testimonies in the middle of the story. So David moves on, and here's what he says. He says, I do not concern myself with great matters, of things too wonderful for me, but I have stilled and quieted my phone. No, I'm just kidding. Stilled and quieted my soul. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, so, so David, interesting, isn't it? I mean, he starts out in this humbled state, right? And then he moves on to this. I do not concern myself with great matters, things too wonderful for me. In other words, he kind of takes up the words of Job at the end of the book of Job, where Job never gets an answer for why he's suffering, but God takes him on a world tour, and that's enough for Job. 
Because all of a sudden he sees himself in the broader context. And that's really what David is saying. I do not concern myself with great matters. I know you're at work. You are at work. I might not see it in my own life right now or in my specific prayer request, but I know there's a bigger story going on. And then he says, and I've stilled and quieted my soul. In other words, I'm going to wait, God. I'm going to wait. Just a couple things here. First of all, have you noticed that God's timing is not our timing? And I don't know about you, but I've never usually seen that God's been going, moving faster than I want him to, except recently when I look in the mirror. But other than that, <laughs> usually God is on a much slower timeline. And I'll tell you what, I only have one joke. I am not a joke, gal. I just am not. And I have one. And I actually did it. I wrote it in Finding Faith in the Dark. So those of you who have read that book, you, you know my one joke. But it's worth telling this morning, and it's a, uh, a, where a man goes to God, he thinks he's going to outsmart him, and he says, God, is it true that for you a thousand years is like a second? And God says, yeah, that's, that's true. And he said, well, then would it follow that a thousand dollars is like a penny? And God said, yeah, I mean, I guess so. And he goes, well, then God, can I have a penny? And God said, sure, just a second. So see... <laughs> We can't outsmart God. And the, and the truth is, his timing is so much longer than ours. And I will tell you, as you heard last year, and my husband's here, that at the ripe young age of 49 years old, I finally did cross the altar for the first time. God did have that for me, not in the timing that I would have chosen, but it was God's perfect timing for me. And I think sometimes we don't still inquiet our soul. Because we want to help God make what, ha- what we want to happen in our life. And I'll tell you what, being a control person, that is me. And we have an example of that in the Bible with Sarah and Abraham. I mean, let's give them some credit. They were like 80 and 90 when they first got their promise. You're going to have a child. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And then 10 more years were going to pass before this actually happened. So, of course, Sarah, being a firstborn child like myself, decided, okay, you know what, Abraham, we are supposed to help God with this. Like, we're not, we're not supposed to actually just sit here and wait for him to do it. I mean, we need to help him. And look, Hagar's here. I mean, she's in our household. Why don't you just go ahead and sleep with her? And Abraham's like, okay. So, you know, I mean, they decided... To do this thing, right? I mean, it was like, and it was very acceptable back then. It would be weird now. So don't get some ideas, husbands and wives. But the the idea was in that culture, it was very acceptable. And so Sarah thought, this is what God wants to do. And then, of course, if you read that, and I won't get into the whole story, you should read it in Genesis. It's a beautiful story, actually, of God following everybody in their story and working the mess into the plan. But God's plan wasn't deterred. Hagar had the baby, and even Abraham said, well, if only this baby could live under your blessing. God's like, I'm going to take care of that baby, but that's not the baby I have for you. You didn't wait long enough. See, when things happen when they're supposed to happen, we celebrate. But when things happen when they're not supposed to happen, we worship. We worship because it shows God. And that's what God wanted for this baby. This was going to be a miracle child, and by gum it was. Can you imagine when she started gaining weight at 90 and telling people she was pregnant? Sarah, come on, really? 
I mean, you need to lay off the barley, girl. And, and, and then when they heard the baby's cries from that tent, can you imagine what they did? And we do today. And that really was how my wedding was, because, you know, no girl dreams. I got to tell you, I give my testimony to college students, and I say, and at 49, I got married, and you can just see them go to prayer immediately. No, God, please, no, no. It is not good news for college students, my testimony. But the truth is, the wedding was more than a wedding. And when God works in weird and too late and never going to happen ways, that's when you have the most amazing testimony of all. Can you wait? Can you still inquire your soul? But there's a third aspect of this, and that is that greater picture that God is doing in your suffering. And I want to show you now just a little short video of a, of a young woman in my church who I absolutely adore. Her name is Chrissy Velasquez. And Chrissy was going through a really painful time when she walked into church one morning. And I'm going to let her tell you her story. So let's watch. So when I walked into church that morning, where I was was just feeling very unstable. We had $26 in the bank, two small kids, um, both under five, and just, um, just not even knowing where God was gonna take me or what was happening, I was basically there at church to receive. And I remember this gentleman came up on stage and told us about the clean water crisis that was happening in Africa. And moms, just like me, who had children just my same age, and these same moms struggling but just in such a more profound way than I was. And so when this gentleman was on stage telling us about this crisis, and he invited us to say yes to running a marathon of all things and raising money for this clean water crisis, I remember sitting there in my seat going, I think I have to say yes. I'm gonna say yes. I'm gonna go down there and say yes and not knowing how in the heck God would provide for me and, and like how would I be able to even run a marathon when I can barely even feed myself and my children at the time. But knowing I had to take that step of faith um, and he talked about needing a team captain and so after the information meeting, I walked over to him and I said, hi, my name is Chrissy and I think I could be the captain. I would always remind the team why we run. And the reason why we run is for the children just like my children and the moms just like us who are right now in Africa battling for their life because they don't have access to clean water. But we are here and we have clean water and we have so much to be thankful for. And let's go out and do something about it and help them. So fast forward to March and it's the day of the marathon. We are in LA and our pastor actually got a text message saying that we had raised $70,000 that morning. And 
I, I remember feeling in that moment that I was not scared to run the marathon because we had already won the victory. I actually got the opportunity to go to Africa and to meet the people that we run for and to hear the stories from these mothers about how their lives have been changed completely. Now this is my fifth year of doing this and reflecting back um, and seeing the struggle that I was in, the pain I was in, the uncertainty I was in, the challenges and the hardship that we were really in um, here in, in Santa Barbara. And looking back and seeing how God used that as an impetus for me to do something for somebody else. It makes me feel humbled and grateful and, and willing to keep saying yes. That uh, is part of the video series that goes with the new book because her story is so incredible. Our church has now raised half a million dollars for, for that, but she was, she was the beginning. She was the beginning, and it was her coming into church with $26 in her bank account, which in Santa Barbara can buy you gum. And, um, and I just think this is what God is talking about through David. I do not concern myself with great matters, things too wonderful for me, but I've stilled and quieted my soul. I don't understand, Lord, why I'm going through this, but you have a bigger purpose. And then David moves on, and he, does, he says this very interesting language. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. I am like a weaned child. What does that mean? Well, for any of you who have had the privilege of weaning a child, how many women in the room have gone through this in their lives? Okay. And how many of you have been weaned? This is when everybody needs to raise their hand. Good. So we've all had this experience. And so what I'd like to say about weaving is that all of us have had the experience of being withheld from something we wanted from someone who loved us for the sake of our growth. And that's maybe one way to look at what God is trying to do in our faith. He wants more for you. He has a bigger story for you. We have the things we want, and when we don't get what we want, some people just bail on God at that point. Well, if you're not going to be Santa Claus, God, then you must not exist. God's saying, I have so much more for your life. If you're willing to let go of your little plan, I have so much more. And a couple of reasons in my own life that I've seen why God withholds. First of all, for our growth, as I just mentioned. Sometimes because he has something better. I have to tell you that all the time that I was crying over my fiancé and over many broken relationships in my life, I want to show you a picture of what my husband looked like at that time. This is what God was looking at when I was crying over all those men. If only I could have seen a glimpse of this, I would have said, stay in Iraq. No, I'm just kidding. But the point is, is that we honestly don't have any idea what God has. I have another picture of what he looked like on our, on our wedding day, still very handsome. You will see him at the break. But the point is, is that so often 
God has something better in mind. So if you're here today because um, maybe something has happened that you really wouldn't have chosen, you don't know what God has in mind. And the third thing, and this is how I want to end today, is that he has plans that are bigger than yours. They involve more people. They involve more needs, because that's, that's who our God is. He's not just involved in our story. He's involved in all of our stories. And sometimes what you're going through, your no might be somebody else's yes. Your pain might be something God wants to use, like Chrissy, to to move you to do something amazing that she would never trade it for now. And you don't know what God has in mind. And that's really how David ends. He says, oh, Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. This is a God you can trust. So I want to close by telling you a story that where God, and really, honestly, it's a story that just has come to me now because I only have seen this looking back on my life because it's a long, it's a long story. But I didn't just have my broken engagement. I actually was the heartbreak kid. I'm not kidding. I went through so many broken relationships, crying over all of them. And at one point, I was dating this pastor, and uh, his sister had set us up, and we thought for sure we were going to end up together. Um, what ended up happening, just real quick sidebar in, in our story, is while he was visiting me, um, tragedy struck. His worship leaders uh, actually dropped dead at 42 of a brain aneurysm eating lunch in the park, and he had a wife and two kids. We had double dated with them, and we cried all night long, put him on a plane, and to make a long story short, he went back to comfort her and ended up marrying her. So that was like before the broken engagement. So you can see that I've been through it. But prior to that, he and I uh, were like, oh, this is going to be great. You know, in my mind, I had the whole story, a dynamic duo, you know, partnership in ministry. And we got this opportunity to go to Haiti with Compassion International. And so I thought the story in my brain was that we're going to go and see how we do ministry together and get married, and it'll be awesome. And God had a whole different story. We got down there, and the man that ended up being our tour guide, he worked for Compassion. He was a pastor in Port-au-Prince. His name was Ephraim Lindor. I just loved him. He was just incredible. He had this beautiful smile. He was like the, I don't know, this is so going to age me, but the 7-Up Uncola man. Does anyone remember that guy? Oh, yeah. Oh, good. The big smile. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was Ephraim. Just this beautiful light in Haiti. And any of you who've been to Haiti know that there's a lot of darkness, a lot of poverty there. And so... Um, we ended up connecting and becoming kind of like brother and sister. And, um, and so I wrote him. And at this point, I was just in, I had, was been between churches and I was speaking and I was down teaching adjunct at APU and Azusa Pacific and living in Orange County. I said, I'd, I'd just really love to do something for you. What can I do? And she, he said, well, my daughter, I'm putting her through school right now. And I said, well, I'd love to help. So I kind of became part of the family and just did what I could, just little bits. And I actually have a picture of, oh, okay, good. <laughs> She's already uh, following me. So that's Taliana, the one that I helped through school. And then that's Elton, his two kids. And, uh, and, and then, um, so what happened was I ended up going to Ocean Hills, as you know. 
and serving on their team, and saying to John Ireland, you know, have you guys been to Haiti yet? They had done some other mission work. No, why don't you take a team down there? I was like, great, I know a guy, let's do it. So I got a team together, and we went down there, and we ended up going for four years in the summertime to Haiti. And I took a doctor on that team, that original team, who now goes three times a year and has never stopped to Haiti because his life was captured down there. His heart was captured. And so he absolutely fell in love with Haiti. He's brought people from, from his clinic down there. I mean, just this incredible ministry that has taken off. As you can see, how well-loved he is down there. He's like a celebrity, Dr. Tom. And so I see that. And you can just see how God had so much more in mind. But you know what? Ephraim was always praying for me to find a husband. I'm not kidding. After that guy and I broke up, he was like, oh, no, sister, I'm still going to pray, you know? And then I got engaged. Yay! And then I got unengaged. Boo! I'm still going to pray. And I'm like, you keep praying, Ephraim. And, uh, and so this next picture shows you on our last mission trip, um, we, uh, I actually brought a guy on that trip who I had just started to date, and it was his very first mission trip. And believe it or not, the very last night of the mission trip, he got down on one knee in front of the entire team and proposed to me in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. So I got engaged, and look how beautiful I looked on my engagement. It was awesome. <laughs> and of course, the next picture just shows that I, I did say yes. And, uh, and so we got a chance to tell this man who had been praying for me for 20 years that I was going to get married and that we had gotten engaged in his country, and he was absolutely thrilled. And do you know that for a wedding present, one of the women that that was on that original team who was at my wedding for her wedding present flew Ephraim to my wedding in Santa Barbara. And so this next picture shows that he was actually part of it. It was he and John Ireland and John O'Shafer. They did the wedding, and he gave us communion. And, uh, and, and, you know, I just look at this picture, and I think, gosh, I had a great story in my mind. Me, this guy, we were going to get married, do ministry together, and this was going to be our chance just to see how we worked together. That's a good story. God had a great story. God had a great story. And it involved many, many more people and more needs than I could have imagined for my story. And so I'm here to ask you this morning, with the power of this psalm, are you willing are you willing to trade your small story for the big story? Some of you already have. Some of you are a part of that big story. But maybe others of you are holding on to things that, gosh darn it, we want, and I get that. But are we willing to let go? And I, I have this meme that I, I found, and I'm just going to put it up on the screen. I really believe there are so many times when we go to God with our little teddy bear. And we go, but God, I want this. I want this. Don't take it from me. And we have no idea what he has in mind. He's a good God. He can be trusted. Oh, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Let's pray. And so I'd invite you maybe now to place your hands in your lap, palms up. This is a, a great stance to be in when we're just saying yes to God. 
And I know if you're like me, it's so many seasons of my life, sometimes those hands are fists. God, why? Why are you doing this? I don't understand. I don't see you. Why aren't you answering my prayer? Why is it different than I wanted? And he's inviting you to just open those fingers, palms up, and say yes. Because his story is so much bigger than we could ever ask or imagine. And it doesn't even end with this life. It goes on to eternity, and this life is just going faster every minute. As old as I get, I just, I just realize that it's just literally going to pass like a flash. And then we'll be with, with Jesus forever. And so he's asking you, are you willing? Are you willing to be a part of my story? Because I have so many people I love, and I want you to be a part of helping me reach them. Are you willing to do that? So God, we say yes to you today, both now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.